0: Hey, it's Jordan Johnson from The Grove Team, and you are listening to The Grove Podcast. Today's episode features a timely and significant message delivered by our dear friend, Jenny Allen, and was recorded at the beautiful and stunning Grove Christmas. Jenny is a Bible teacher, New York Times bestselling author, and the founder and visionary of If Gathering. Today we wanna pose the question, have you ever stopped to think about and truly consider what you're actually longing for in your life? Jenny's message calls us to return to community, to embrace vulnerability, and to be the people known for their love for one another. Listen closely towards the end as she identifies three barriers that often prevent us from sharing our lives with one another. And let's consider the women in our lives that might be aching for a deeper connection. So let's be sharing this perspective-shifting episode, and now let's dive in with Jenny Allen.
1: All right, guys, here's the thing. We don't want that many different things. And I would bet that most of you, what you want is somehow connected to people somehow connected to people you love. Most of our longings and most of our desires are somehow connected to people that we love. Even if it is your wholeness and wellness from cancer, it is because why? If you love Jesus, you're going to heaven. It's because you love your people, right? Almost all of our desires are connected to our people. And guess what all our troubles are also connected to? Our people. How can the thing that we love so much, how can the thing that brings the greatest joy in all of life also be the thing that absolutely ruins our life? I love my children. Let me show you a picture of them. They're awesome. They're cute. That is check. That helps a lot of days that I wanna kill them. But my kids, I have cried more tears over those four humans than any potential issue on earth. And I'm not saying that there aren't real issues, but how many of you have shed more tears for the people that you know, that you love, than for the rest of the world? There's a reason for that. There is a reason for that. Most of all of time, all of history, people have lived in the context of something called a village. In fact, today, 80% of the world lives today in the context of a village. Guess how big most villages are? 100 to 150 people. Now, if you think back to yesteryear before the internet, which was not that long ago, I was there. And, and when the internet didn't exist, you pulled out maps that were paper and, and you found directions. I have no idea how, but we did it. We survived. And you knew the problems of about 100 to 150 people. And today we carry the problems of the whole wide world. And we're confused and we feel guilty for wanting things for our family and for our lives because all we hear all day is what is happening in the world. Now let me tell you, I am not suggesting we put our head in the sand. There is a reason that in this generation, we know what's happening in the world. We get to be the church to the world. We get to play a part in what God is doing in the world, but we need to be honest and we need to be sober about why. Every single person I know, including myself today on the plane during turbulence has anxiety. Physical, debilitating anxiety. Nearly daily, somebody else tells me that they've started medicine. And I'm a fan of medicine. I'm a fan of counseling, praise God for those gifts. But the fact that almost everyone I know, including myself has considered it in the last year, guys, something is broken. And so I start this night, I start this night with the the beauty and the hope that we just sang about because it's real and it's coming and yet between now in heaven, we got, some, we got some living to do and it's dadgum hard. And this space right here, honestly, to some, I'm gonna say some things. <laughs> honestly, to some degree, the devil is winning. Now I'm not saying he's gonna win and I'm not saying he's gonna take down the church. I'm not even saying he's gonna take down your life. I'm just saying we've given him a lot of territory. And so to me right now, what we've gotta look at is why? Cause I don't think you wanna give the devil any territory. I don't think in your own heart right now, you're thinking, man, I'm just gonna give up, be a victim and, you know, fade into darkness until heaven, yay. I don't think that's your wish or your desire, your wish and your desire, your hope, your longing is to live for the glory of God, to, to watch your friends and neighbors come to Christ, to see your children grow in, in faith and obedience. These are the desires, to, Watch your discipleship, if you are single, or if you are married, grow and build generations. You want these things to happen because you actually believe there is a God and you actually believe heaven is coming. Now, some of you got tricked by your friend and this is about Jesus. (laughs) And you may not know that, and that's okay. We're so glad you're here. You're gonna like him so much more than you thought. (laughs) But to the rest of us, that you know you are coming to sing to Jesus. You know that your ache, that the sadness and anxiety, that Jesus is the answer, but how do I actually make him the answer? What is broken? What do we want? What are we longing for? And this is my case to you tonight. My case to you tonight is that we have never been more isolated on earth We have never lived more isolated and separated from each other in history. Every generation that has lived on earth, I will make the case besides Adam and Eve, but they they did have each other. We are the most isolated generation in the world. And that's terrifying. And that's terrifying for a few reasons because this book that, that many of us love, this book that many of us depend on and that teaches us how to live and, and what to hope for and what, what our, who our God is and what he has planned for us, this book, it is not even a call to community, it assumes it. It assumes it from the very, very beginning. Let's start at Genesis one. He builds a man, he sets him on the planet. He looks at the man, everything's good, except it is not good for man to be alone. It's the first proclamation he makes over the guy. He's like, hey, you're great, Adam, but not alone. You're not good alone. It is not good for man to be alone. He starts the whole book and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he says, he reveals the Trinity in the very beginning. He doesn't always do that throughout scripture, but he does in the very beginning. He says, and we created them in our image. In love, we created them. So we, be it the Trinitarian God, three and one. I went to seminary and that's what I got, y'all. <laughs> Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, three and one, but he reveals the threeness in that moment because he wants us to know that he doesn't love community, he is community. And therefore, he sets a man, and the first thing he says about him is, it's not good for you to be alone, emphasizing you're in our image. That means that you don't need community, you are communal. You don't need relationships, you are relational. And I I, I tread lightly here tonight because I know that what I'm going to say tonight is going to actually be very uncomfortable for all of us. And the reason I can say that with great confidence is I have never met someone that, that really gets along with everybody. There are very few people, I'm sure you might be one of them, you have never had a fight. But then I would say, then you're fake. <laughs> and now I don't like you. So I'm gonna just bet that every one of us on this subject has a lot of brokenness. And it's really fun to come on Christmas at the Grove and talk about a place that every single one of us has a tender place of brokenness, but we're gonna talk about it. Because guys, let me just tell you, we have, in my opinion, we have as a generation a choice to make right now, and we are either going to drift further and further into this isolated, thing that we have going on in the world right now, or we are going to change it. And it is my hope that we change it. This isolated thing that we have going on right now, before COVID, three in five said they were lonely. I would guess we're at four and a half out of five right now. What I know is that most of us are lonely. And some of you are good at this. But I bet you in the last month to two months, there has been a moment where you still have felt lonely. I am not good at this. I've had multiple people quit me. Like just say the words, I'm quitting you. (laughs) It's a horrible thing to say to someone, but they've said it. And I don't blame them looking back. But what I want you to know is that this is life. This isn't a part of life This is life. Some of you are about to head home to see relatives during Christmas or all of your relatives are gonna descend on you. And the last thing you are going to be thinking in the middle of that chaos, when everyone is talking about politics at your table, is that this is life. You're not going to be thinking that. I'm gonna go ahead and call it right now. But I'm still telling you, this is life. This is the fullness of life that God talks about, that he promises us. This book was written from community to community. When I researched this, I spent about a year researching the Bible and researching history and looking at how people live because I'm genuinely curious, why is it so broken right now? And when I look at this book specifically, it was actually interesting to build a case for community because the whole thing's just about it. Like I love scriptures you can say at the right moment and it perfectly sums up exactly my point of, of this and like hit God's heart for this. And the reality is most of the Bible was just written to people groups. It began with the Trinity. The Trinity created a family. A family became a people group. A people group grew and grew and grew until Jesus came into it and that people group spread out into the local churches. There was never a phase of time that God wasn't thinking about a group of people doing life together. The whole book was written for it. The whole book. It was really hard to like pull out, okay, this verse. That tells you unique community. There are a few. Encourage each other as long as it's called today so that your heart is not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I like that one, and the reason I like that one is because then, guess what that reveals? We are at war. And guess what protects us? Guess what equips us? Guess what causes us to win? It is people, it is meeting together as long as it is called today. It is encouraging each other. It's why people need to come back to church. It's because we need not just a screen, guys. We don't need to look at another screen and see people. If you can, if you're healthy and you're able to come, you need to come and you need to feel the person beside you. You need to hear them singing in your ear. You need to be together. it's It's just not how we're meant to live because what happens? We get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We are at war. And the great news about a statement like that is I don't even have to back that up. Everybody here knows it. We're in a day and a time that you are very crystal clear that there is a war and there is darkness and there is light and the light is flickering, and the light some days is bright, and the light some days is tired, weary, because we need each other. We need each other. But there is a lot of resistance to this. I wanna start with the first thing that I see as the greatest resistance to us doing life on life, living together every single day, and that is our culture. Our world is built uniquely, and we've gotta be honest about that, and we've gotta look at it, and we've gotta see that yes, we live in a generation that for the first time, guess what? We are not hunting and gathering and cooking together. How many of you have gone overseas and you've gone to a village where there's huts, and the huts don't have doors? And what you see in those villages, as I've seen in Uganda and Rwanda, is that you go to those villages, they don't have doors, and in the middle of their little communities, there are fires. And beside the community that you're observing in that moment, you are watching women walking up the hill with water on their head. They're walking up the hill and they are laughing They are happy and they don't have much. They don't even have doors. And I'm thinking to myself, what are we getting wrong? Because they have a mission together every day. And guess what that mission is to survive? My friend, Pastor Charles, he's a pastor in Rwanda and he came over to visit me in the US and and he and I were talking about this. And he said, he said, Ginny, it makes me so sad when I come to America because you all don't need each other. He said, I'm starting to notice it in Rwanda too, that when a Rwandan family gets a little bit of provision and, and wealth that, that they hire a guard and a, uh, they put up walls and they get a gate and all of a sudden they start to get unhappy and they start to get disconnected. And my heart broke because I, I thought, what if we have this all backwards? Everything about the way people have lived throughout generations, we no longer do. We Amazon what we need. We barely borrow a ladder. We barely borrow an egg. Like, I grew up going down the street to my neighbor's house and borrowing an egg, right? And then they would borrow the egg back because that's what you did. I don't know why it wasn't always an egg, but it was always an egg. <laughs> so what you did, is what you borrowed. When was the last time you knocked on your neighbor's door and asked for something? We don't need each other in our world anymore. And it's broken. The second barrier to this kind of living where we are fully connected and and we are doing life together day in and day out is pain and shame. And for many of you, this is the one. Culture, you don't know about that. You hadn't thought about it in a while, maybe you haven't visited a different country. I remember even going to Italy and I walked in a little grocery store of all these strangers and they all stopped and looked at me and my husband and my kids and basically were like, who are you? What are you doing here? And I was so blown away, they all know each other. We were strangers in this little grocery store. See, something about our culture is changed. But for many of you, this shame and pain, this is the biggest barrier. This is the thing that has happened to you over and over and over again. So why would I trust people? Why would I let people back in? Because I have been quit and I have been hurt and I cannot do it anymore. I'm guessing it is not just me that has been quit. And the third thing that I see is the greatest period of this, and this one's such a big fat bummer, is the devil. So we have a world that fundamentally does not lend itself to this, that we need to be honest about. This is just not the world that we live in in the West, currently, right now. We set alarms, we live as a nuclear family or as a group of roommates, or even as a single by ourselves. And guys, nuclear family wasn't even a thing until the 50s, and it was a marketing campaign to define family now as two people and two and a half kids so that they could sell more toasters. See, family throughout history has always been aunties, uncles, grandparents, and all these strangers that just got adopted into our family that we call auntie and uncle. That's how it's supposed to be. So culture is fighting it. People are idiots. And they're so mean and they hurt us and they're not safe when we share our desires and they're not safe when we share our sin and they hurt us and they, they make it where we don't wanna be vulnerable because why would we when we keep getting hurt? For me, that one got me because I was a pastor's wife. That's the end of that story. the enemy. So we have culture against us, we have people that are idiots, and then we have a devil that hates it because guess what happens if it gets good? Guess what happens if it gets good? It says it throughout the Bible. They will know you by your love for each other. We change the world if it gets good. It's the most contagious thing on earth. In fact, many of you were probably saved because of powerful relationships in your lives. You probably watched somebody raising their kids or doing single life like Linda Molman at University of Arkansas who is still making disciples. Somebody got discipled by her besides me. Still making disciples today. When I was in college, she was discipling me and all my friends. And now today she's discipling all my daughter's friends. Like she has not stopped for all those years. There is probably somebody like Linda in your life that you watched the way they lived and loved and did life and you were drawn to it and you're like, I want that God. But what do we do? See, this is, this is the life that, that we lead. We are in a room by ourselves and we have justified it. It's like a closet and it's closing in on me and I have justified it. I've justified living in this place Because of all these things, and because it's so dadgum hard, and I get that, we have justified it, and we have chosen it because it's easier. Tell me I'm wrong. We have justified it, and we have chosen it, and we think to ourselves, but I have Jesus. Let me tell you. Shelly, come up here real quick. Let me tell you what Jesus would say. Come here. Be in my closet with me. Where are you? Just come on. Let me tell you what what Jesus would say. Shelly, Shelly, you're really not in a closet, but let's pretend that you're a really isolated person and you're in this closet and I'm Jesus. And let me tell you what Jesus would say. Get out. I did not spend this much time with my father alone. Like y'all go, go be with people. Guess why? Because all the good stuff is out here. Now, I'm not saying we don't have this moment with God, but guess what Jesus does after we have our moment? Get out. Okay, that's all. You get out, why? Because everything we're supposed to do before eternity is here. It is with each other, it is comforting. Guys, and it is not just mission. Let me start, it is not just mission. Out here is comfort. My best friend, Sarah, has a massive stroke at 35, but she was a good friend. I remember when she moved to Austin, Texas, she knew nobody and she sat on my bed and cried about it. I was like, you can sit here and cry about it, or you can go make friends. She was like, okay, okay. She was like, nobody's calling me. I'm like, call them. So she did. And a few years later, she had more friends than me. and she has a massive stroke and the waiting room is overflowing. And even today, as I'm driving here, there's a text stream with the Sarah sisterhood of the 20 people that love Sarah and have been through the last decade of her life with her since she had a stroke. See, this isn't just about mission. This is about when you fall apart, when your world falls apart, you have your people. See, we are not meant to do this alone because it's so hard. To be alone, okay, I take it back. It's very easy to be alone. You can watch Netflix the rest of your lives in your robe. You can. And that might be easier than what I'm calling you to do and what God's calling you to do. But it will not be better. We are aching for a deeper connection than we even understand or know is out there or available. Some of you have a lot of friends, you have a lot of people in your life, but it doesn't go deep. What the research says is that we have the capacity to know acquaintance wise, about 100 to 150 people. We have the human capacity to keep up with and check on and be in relationship with about 50. We have the the ability to truly get in the business of about 15 but we only have the ability of actually walking through day-to-day life with about two to three. But guys, I kept, because of these three things, I kept pulling in and in and in. And what God has called us to is to fight against this. Like, it's not enough for you to walk out and go, man, I'm gonna go home tonight and I'm gonna pray for friends and I'm just gonna hope that they show up on my front door. Let me just tell you right now, they're not. They're not. Because you are the ambassador for Christ. Nobody was better at this than Jesus. You get tired of initiating and people not initiating back. I get that. Initiate anyway. Jesus did it his whole life. He was so good at it, guys. He kept asking people to dinner. In fact, he would walk into a town. He would be like, hey, you in the tree, we're going to dinner. We're going to your house. You're gonna cook for us. Let's go, Zacchaeus. He did not even just ask him to dinner. He's like, we're coming over to your house. I hope you have food. He imposed on people. I remember one of my friends one day, she, she came over. She knew my husband was gone. She came over at 6. 30 with pizzas in her hand and all her children in her sweats. She didn't call me. She didn't text me. She didn't think maybe Jenny might've already made dinner. Nope, she didn't think that. She just showed up with dinner and I had not made dinner. <laughs> and she stayed for hours and she even brought paper plates. And my house was a mess. And I didn't care because you know why? I would've watched Netflix in my robe. And instead we sat there together while our kids played together and we ate pizza and we laughed and we cried and we talked about what was really going on in our lives. And I didn't care that my house was messy and I didn't even have to do dishes cause she even brought the plates. Guys, this is the life we are meant to live. Invasive, <laughs> imposing, showing up, not calling, open doors, fires outside after our kids go to bed. Guys, we got a fire pit. Because of all this research, I was like, we are going to live by our fire. And we're gonna tell everybody they don't have to knock and they can just come over and y'all, they do it. And I have people near strangers walking in my house, coming in at our pantry, not saying hi to us. Now they're my kids' friends, but. <laughs> they come in, they go in our pantry and they like wave at us and they walk out. Why? Because this has not defined our lives, because I don't care if you're invited, you are my people, you come on in. Guys, I do not, now I, I hate to say this because the other day I did go to the mall by myself, but I try to never go anywhere anymore by myself, why? Because in Africa they're happier and they never go anywhere alone. So I'm just mimicking them. And <laughs> I'm like, they get water at the river, we get groceries. Like we, I'm trying to do this, because what you're thinking right now is I don't have time for a life like this. And I'm gonna say, it's as we are going. It's as we are going. We are craving this. We are craving each other. I joined a confessional community this year and I found out that I hate sharing things. This is hysterical because I had already written the book about this and it was done and I told all y'all to do it, but I wasn't really wanting to do it at all. And I thought I did, I thought it sounded lovely until they made me do it. And then I realized I get anxious, like my stomach gets in knots, because why? Because I have been quit. Because I have shared the parts of me that I'm afraid somebody's gonna leave the room when they see, and they've left the room. And at the core of who we are and what God has called us to on this earth, there is an enemy that wants nothing more than to sabotage good, healthy Christian connection. And he's doing a really fine job of it right now. And the reality is It's really just about all he has to take out. If he takes out all of our relationships, we will do the rest of the work for him because we'll break down. We will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We will no longer engage our soul and our heart and our local churches. We'll step out of the mission that God has for us in it It's an effective strategy to just isolate all of us. I don't know if you've heard, but apparently this metaverse thing, the whole world's gonna go in virtual reality. Isn't that so great? I'm so excited about it, because there is a a ache in all of us for connection, and guess where everybody's about to go find it? In a virtual reality. Because it's easier to put on an avatar costume and look better and come into my clean house in this virtual world and meet a guy in this virtual world, it's easier to do life there because the Bible calls us to really beautiful connection, difficult connection, you ready? I'm gonna read you some of the ways the Bible defines community, admonish one another, be at peace with one another, forgive one another, be of the same mind toward one another, give preference to one another, bear one another's burdens, be subject to one another, love one another. All those sound so lovely and beautiful, but I rewrote them about what we're actually doing and it's a complete disaster. Look at your friend and tell them what they're doing wrong. That's what it says to do love so completely you are willing to be rejected by someone. When someone ransacks you, just let it go. When you mess up and feel so ashamed you want to hide, go instead and say it out loud to someone who might use it against you. When someone is selfish and horrible to you, give them preferential treatment. When your person is crying on the bathroom floor, get on the floor and cry with them. When you feel misunderstood, don't run. Y'all, this is what God's called us to. It is messy, it is costly, it is hard, and it is where life is. Right now in Afghanistan, there are people fighting for their lives. And I know that that feels like a million miles away, but, but I have friends over there right now, and I wanted to tell you some of the things they say about the way that they live over there. This is, this is what my friend said. In the last year, Pastor Charles, I mean Pastor X, if you've ever heard his story, it's unbelievable He said, "Hey, there's no division, there's no infighting right now, because persecution keeps you clean." He said, "We need each other, we protect each other. We couldn't live a day without encouraging and eating with each other. And when quarantine happened, 20 of us, including kids, moved into a house together so that we wouldn't have to do those months alone. Most of us have lost our families because we follow Jesus and we are each other's family and it's not easy. Many of the people that are following Jesus are former Taliban, listen to this, these house guests, former Taliban, prostitutes, murderers and drug lords. And he just said it without breaking a face. You know, I mean, these are his friends and they're living together in a house with their kids. That was hard. <laughs> and it's not easy, but we love each other and we need each other and we would die for each other. See, he says this, true discipleship isn't something you do once a week. It's what you do every day because that's when you get to know people. It's when you're with them during the good and the bad, when they're sick, when they're healthy. That's what brings true family. The blood of Christ makes us a family. We come and go to each other's houses. We don't have to call, we just go, it's a family. We eat meals together, we go and disciple people together. And then this week, I heard another story of a believer who was rescued out of Afghanistan. And she said, I want you to put me back in. And they said, you realize if we put you back in, you're probably gonna die. And she said, I know, but I cannot leave the people that love God that are there. And so she tells stories about going house to house where she might get killed and walking in the house and singing songs together, and then moving to the next house and singing songs together. And when they don't have what they need, they compile all their resources and they come together and that's how they live. And what I feel like we gotta decide is Is this is gonna be what defines the church in America in this generation. Or are we going to live radically connected to each other? And I know for some of you, that means forgiving somebody that has incredibly badly hurt you. But guys, we've gotten so good at boundaries that we've forgotten how to love people. We have to love each other because guess what? You're jacked up, they're jacked up too. And the reason we get to love each other isn't because people are perfect and they actually meet this need in us. The reason we get to love each other because Christ loved us first. The reason I can go to Christmas and love and embrace somebody that has hurt me and never ask for forgiveness. The reason I can do that is not because they are worthy of that. It is because God deemed a plan when I was unworthy to save me, that is the story that we're a part of. And and it's radical, it is messy, and it requires something of us that, that hurts. It is not an easy road. But I believe that this should not define our relationships and that out here is where the real work is being done. And I actually believe that most of us are craving this. And the reason we haven't had it is because the enemy has said, I'm gonna take your shame and your pain and your hurt and your rejection, I'm gonna let that define your relationships for the rest of your life. And I think that's a stupid plan. And I think we should fight back. Because if we fight back, and if we love through the pain and we get on the bathroom floor and we admonish each other's sins and we hold each other accountable and we bust into each other's doors and don't let people suffer alone and, and bring the person that has been far from God into restoration, we, we fight for people instead of just going, you know what? That's too much trouble. If we start to forgive people, guys, I'm watching it happen. I remember two of my dearest friends as, as I believed this was so important. My two dearest friends got in such a difficult conflict. It lasted for months. And at different points, both of them said something to the effect of I've given up. And I was like the energizer bunny running back and forth to them going, no, you're not, you're not giving up. You're not giving up. You're not giving up. And guys, my friend looked at me the other day and said, our relationship isn't just restored. It's better than it's ever been because that's how God works. Because that's what the blood of Jesus does. It restores, it heals, it redeems, it repairs. And not always, I'm not saying there's never a time for boundaries. I'm not saying there's never a time to, to take a toxic relationship. I'm not saying, y'all, y'all hear me. I'm just saying we've, we've used that excuse to not forgive people. We need each other. And some of you tonight, we're about to pray. Some of you tonight, there is someone on your mind, there is someone on your heart that you just quit fighting for, that you just gave up on, that that just caused you too much hurt. And I'm going to ask you to pray, to pray about restoring that. And I'm not gonna ask you to do that so that your heart's full. I'm gonna ask you to do that because this is the story of God that we love each other just as Christ has loved us and that through our love, the world may know him. Restoration is a song, it is this chorus, it is this, this banner that, that screams that there is a God if all these jacked up people can still love each other. And I believe we can. So who do you need to forgive? But some of you are listening tonight and you're going, I don't even have what you're talking about to be able to forgive, to be able to engage in a relationship. And so we're gonna have a chance for you tonight to pray that, to receive Christ, because that forgiveness is what is the center of every single thing that is true of us. It is what allows us to engage, to love, to reach out, to bring in, to not care, to let people hurt us. It is the power. Because in just a little while, we're gonna be home. We get this right, team. We cause a lot of trouble to the devil. We get this right. We get this right. Our love will shout in this divided world that this is a God worth following. So God help us where we have missed this, where we have isolated, where we have let the shame and the pain cause us to hide. And we have, we've allowed the devil to take too much ground in our lives. God, help us, set us free and show us a way. And, and God, teach us to initiate like you initiated. And God, where we have been the ones that are hurt and we have pulled away and, and maybe we don't even know why that that relationship is broken and we don't even know where that came from. God, would we be brave and ambassadors of you to bring reconciliation? Would we receive the reconciliation that, that you have given to us? And would we give that reconciliation to the world? And for those that don't know that reconciliation yet, it's as simple as this. I need a savior. I need a savior. My longings, my desires, my wants, they're too big and I, I need a God to save me need a God to save me. And he says, I am your salvation. The blood of Jesus poured out on the cross. He chose brokenness. He chose death so that you could be reconciled to God. And guys, it is the best relationship. It is the best relationship in that closet with Him, that is where good work happens, where we fight to be able to love the world. It is, it is essential. It is how we go and love a broken world. It is the greatest relationship I've ever had. The friendship with God that He has promised us is the greatest relationship I've ever had. But there is something about looking in somebody's eyes and being heard and seen and understood that is so powerful and that changes everything. So tonight, what I want you to do guys is I want you to go out of here and I want you to look into each other's eyes and I want you to really listen because the reality is how we do this, some of us, we forgot, we just forgot. So we will be gracious with each other as we stumbly, imperfectly love each other. God, help us do that better with your spirit and for your name and glory, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: What an awesome reminder that we are called to live in community to walk through the good and bad together, and maybe even borrow an egg from time to time. Be sure to check out JennyAllen.com for more resources from Jenny, including her latest book entitled Finding Your People. If you live in the Atlanta area, we'd love to see you at our upcoming Grove gatherings. So check out our show notes to learn more about the Grove, the Flourish mentoring journey, and how to stay connected with us. We'll catch you next time on The Grove Podcast.